0: Let's Deep Dive. Hello and welcome back to Deep Dive. I'm your host, Erin. On today's episode, we will be discussing the case of who killed Jennifer Odom. As always, my takes are not meant to hurt or disrespect any families involved. I do these stories to bring awareness to situations. With that said, let's deep dive. Jennifer Odom was only 12 years old when her life was stolen from her. Her case remained unsolved for 30 years. Jennifer was a 7th grader who enjoyed playing the clarinet in her school's band. She loved water sports and placed high in water skiing tournaments. There was a creek behind her home where she and her sister would play and hike around. Jennifer was a very happy and loving girl. She looked forward to a fun weekend she had planned. She was going to the Pascal County Fair that night and was excited to be competing in the Florida Bandmaster competition the following day. On February 19, 1993, Jennifer stepped off her school bus at around 2.45 p.m. She turned around and waved to her friend, yelling, Call me later! She then started making the walk to her home, which was 200 yards away. However, she never arrived. Jennifer had a 9-year-old sister, Jessica, who arrived home at about 3.30 p.m. She walked up to the home like always, and went to walk in, but the door was locked. The girl's grandmother lived on the property, so Jessica walked over to her home. She told her grandmother that Jennifer must have been playing a joke on her and wouldn't unlock the front door to let her in. Her grandmother gave her a spare key to get into the home. Once in the house, Jessica realized something was wrong. The house was dark, quiet and Jennifer was nowhere to be found. Jessica ran back to her grandmother's house to call her mom Renee. Renee was instantly rushed with worry. Jennifer never strayed from her routine. She always went straight home from the bus. Renee began calling Jennifer's friends, and they also confirmed that Jennifer got off the bus and headed towards her home. Renee's next call was to the police to report Jennifer missing. The police took this call very seriously. Jennifer had not had history of running away and not telling her parents she was going somewhere beforehand. The police quickly tracked down all the students who were on the bus with Jennifer that afternoon and interviewed each of them one by one. What they heard from most of the students was troubling. Many of the students stated they saw a blue pickup truck sitting on the side of the road when Jennifer got off her bus. Several of these students also stated that the truck started to follow Jennifer down Jim Denny Road. Other students stated the driver was a white male, older, and had shoulder-length brown hair. The police sent out search dogs to go through the area where Jennifer's bus stopped and her route home they dispatched a helicopter to circle the area several times in hopes they would see something that ground searches may have missed. However, nothing was found. Later that evening, friends and family decided they would go to the fair that Jennifer was looking forward to going to and pass out missing flyers with a recent photo of Jennifer and a description of Jennifer's clothing. A teal Jansport backpack, a tan purse, and a case holding her clarinet. As word got out that Jennifer was missing, the search for her became massive. Hundreds of friends, neighbors, and volunteers showed up to help police comb the area she was last seen at. But again, they found nothing. Although there was no evidence of an abduction, police were certain that she did not go with anyone voluntarily. The sheriff pleaded with the public for help asking anyone who had information or a possible lead to please come forward and call them. With very little evidence, the police decided to concentrate on the one lead they really had, tracking down that blue pickup truck that other students said they saw following Jennifer. By Saturday night, they had stopped hundreds of blue trucks, but could not link any of them to Jennifer's case. On Sunday, the police decided to expand their search into Hernando County. Again, hundreds of volunteers came out to help comb the area for several hours, hoping something related to the case may be there. Again, no evidence was found. Despite this, they all remained hopeful that Jennifer was still alive and would be brought home safely. By Monday, the police reached out to the FBI for help. Jennifer's mother, Renee, informed them that she always told her girls, if a stranger approaches you, drop your belongings and run straight home. Police and FBI now wondered if the person who took Jennifer was someone she may have known because none of her belongings were found anywhere. By Thursday, at roughly 11 a.m., the search for Jennifer came to a sad end. When a couple came across her body, On a horse trail in Hernando County. This was about 12 miles from her home in a heavily wooded area. The police knew that it was Jennifer. The sheriff went to Jennifer's home with images of jewelry that was found on her body. Renee confirmed the jewelry did belong to Jennifer. The medical examiner determined that Jennifer died from blunt force trauma to the head. He also believed she was sexually assaulted because police found her undressed. He was not able to confirm, though, through testing because of the advanced state of decomposition her body was in. Police were determined to find Jennifer's killer, but they also knew this would not be a quick arrest due to the lack of evidence in the case. They did have a profile made up of the type of person who may have done this and had six potential persons of interest. However, they were all ruled out as suspects. The police then focused on the blue truck again. They were able to rule out 1,500 blue trucks and came to yet another dead end. In January 1995, a couple was searching for scrap metal in Hernando County when they came across Jennifer's book bag and inside it was her clarinet. The police were called and came to retrieve the items and sent them to the FBI for analysis. Fingerprints were lifted from the bag, and they were ran through the police database. However, there was no match, and they hit yet another dead end. In April 2017, 55-year-old Jeffrey Norman Crumb Sr. was arrested and charged for a January 1992 abduction Rape, and attempted murder of a 17 year old girl. DNA testing had leaked him to that case. After his arrest, he was named a person of interest in Jennifer's case. Crum had a laundry list of convictions that included armed robbery, aggravated assault, domestic battery, and sexual assault. He also lived in Pasco County and owned a blue pickup truck, and he was very familiar with Jennifer's case. After looking at both cases, police noticed similarities. Both victims were adolescent girls abducted after getting off a school bus, taken to a remote field, raped, and left to die. The victim from the 1992 case was found a few miles from where Jennifer's body had been found. In April 2019, Crum was found guilty of sexual battery and attempted murder of his victim from the 1992 case and sentenced to life in prison. In July 2023, Crum was charged with first-degree murder, kidnapping, and sexual battery in Jennifer's case. He is awaiting trial, and if convicted, he could receive the death penalty. I hope this finally brings some peace to Jennifer's family. The pain of losing her will never go away, But finally getting her justice after all these years will help heal their hearts a little bit. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you all so much. Until next time. Bye. Let's let's, deep dive.